If you have your Bibles with you, I encourage you to turn with me now to John chapter 10. John chapter 10. We continue in this Christmas series that's called Jesus Is. Last week we talked about how Jesus is life and light, and we looked at the very first chapter of the book of John, and so we see this story here of Jesus' birth, him coming into the world, and now we're, we're fast-forwarding now to John chapter 10, and we're talking about how Jesus is hope, and we're doing that because we're in a reading in the book of John, and what's interesting is that as we walk through the book of John, this Christmas series won't exactly be one that's focused on characters like the shepherds or, or angels or wise men or Mary or Joseph specifically. And, you know, we did talk about Jesus' birth last week, and, but we're going to move into Jesus being an adult now here in John chapter 10. But what's neat about this passage is it emphasizes the Jewish holiday of Hanukkah. And this takes place around late November, early December. And the timing of Hanukkah being in this passage is incredibly significant. And we'll unpack that a little bit today. So Hanukkah, maybe you ask yourself, what is that? Uh, known as the uh, festival or the feast of dedication, the festival of lights. And I'll walk you through this a little bit. I'll start with the bad guy. But about 160 years prior to Jesus' birth... There's this guy named Antiochus Epiphanes, and he's a Syrian leader, and he leads this renegade into the city of Jerusalem. He takes over the city, and he takes over the temple where the Jews worship, and he desecrates the temple. He actually sacrifices a pig on the altar. That's an animal that the Jews would consider unclean. And not only does he do that, but he starts to burn their scriptures, and he starts to force worship of these false foreign gods that he brings in to the city and on top of that there's persecution and the killing of the Jews. Now several years into this trouble a man by the name of Judah Maccabee leads a revolt and they take things back including the temple and they rededicate the temple and we now have this holiday that's celebrated called Hanukkah. One of the ministries that we support here at Faith is called One for Israel, and their desire is to evangelize the Jews, and we support them. And just a couple weeks ago, they actually released a video simply entitled, What is Hanukkah in the New Testament? And so I want you to take note of this video as it explains Hanukkah just a little bit further. So watch your screen. Jewish people in Israel and around the world are celebrating the Feast of Hanukkah, or dedication, these days. But did you know that the earliest written record of Hanukkah is actually found in the New Testament? In John 10:22, we have the setting of what's taking place. Then came the festival of dedication at Jerusalem. It was winter, and Yeshua was in the temple courts walking in Solomon's colonnade. The fact that Yeshua made the trip to Jerusalem for this festival tells us a ton. So before we go further, what are we actually celebrating in this winter feast of dedication? Around 200 BCE, Judea was being afflicted by the Greek rulers who were forbidding Torah study and worship at the temple. The Greek rulers became more and more forceful to Hellenize the Jewish people and this persecution culminates 
with the rise of the evil king Antiochus Epiphanes, who desecrates the temple, enters the Holy of Holies, and makes the possession of the Torah a capital offense, burning every scroll he could find. He decreed the Jews were only to worship the Greek idols. But the Maccabees, a family of priests from Modi'in, stir up a revolt, refusing to worship the Greek idol. They eventually take Jerusalem back and begin the process of clearing out the pagan altars and reopening the Temple of God. As they finish up, their goal was to immediately resume sacrifice and temple worship. But as they go to Lachnoch, Hanukkah, or dedicate the temple, they find there's only oil for one day of the special ceremonial menorah oil. It would take eight days to make the new special lamp oil. And according to tradition, with only one day supply, they light the menorah in faith. And God sustains the flame for eight days until the new oil is made. This is the miracle of Hanukkah. So going back to the Gospel of John, you can imagine in Yeshua's day, knowing the trials our people were facing under the Roman rule, the Judeans circled Yeshua in the temple, Yeshua, this great miracle worker from the Galilee. If there was a perfect day to start the revolt against the Roman oppression, this was Hanukkah, this day. So unable to contain themselves anymore, they burst out. How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Messiah, tell us plainly. They were ready to take arms, take the country back. Judah Maccabee didn't perform these great miracles or signs. I'm sure the expectations were higher for this one, who could feel the multitudes in the wilderness, who could heal the sick soldiers. Yeshua was the perfect Messiah to drive the Romans out. Their thoughts were like ours, continually on the kingdoms of this world, but deaf to the kingdom of God. Yeshua turned the focus back again to our eternal state. His coming at this time was to defeat an enemy much more oppressive than the slavery of Rome, more wicked than Antiochus of Greece. His aim was defeating the bondage of sin, to give us not just a good life here on this earth, but eternal life, restoring our relationship with God. The trials we face today may fill us with worry about our freedoms being eroded by crooked leaders and a world in chaos. But while Rome could take your land, money, and freedom, no one can snatch you out of your father's hand. Rome faded away, just like every kingdom of this world. But the kingdom of God is advancing today. All right, I feel like that's a good background here for us as we get ready to dig into this passage here. So John chapter 10, starting here in verse 22. Before we read from the Word of God, let's pray together to settle our hearts to receive. Father, thank you for this time where we're going to be sitting now under your Word. And I pray, Lord, that you would move in our hearts and that you would cause us to to see the hope that we have in you. And Lord, also to see the false hope that we put in other things that aren't you. So please have your way with this time. Be with the children's ministry as they lean into you as well. Bless them, Lord. 
We thank you for this now in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, verse 22. It was now winter and Jesus was in Jerusalem at the time of Hanukkah, the festival of dedication. And he was in the temple walking through the section known as Solomon's Colonnade. And the people surrounded him and asked, How long are you going to keep us in suspense? If you are the Messiah, tell us plainly. And Jesus replied, I have already told you and you don't believe me. The proof is in the work I do in my Father's name. But you don't believe me because you are not my sheep. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish. No one can snatch them away from me. For my Father has given them to me and he is more powerful than anyone else. No one can snatch them from my Father's hand. The Father and I are one. Once again, the people picked up stones to kill him, and Jesus said at my Father's direction, I've done many good works. For which one are you going to stone me? And they replied, We're stoning you not for any good work, but for blasphemy. You're a mere man, and you claim to be God. And Jesus replied, It is written in your own scriptures that God said to certain leaders of the people, I say you are God's. And you know that the scriptures cannot be altered. So if those people who received God's message were called gods, why do you call it blasphemy when I say, I am the Son of God? After all, the Father set me apart and sent me into the world. Don't believe me unless I carry out my Father's work. But if I do His work, believe in the evidence of the miraculous works that I have done, even if you don't believe in me. Then you will know and understand that the Father is in me and I am in the Father. Now once again they tried to arrest him, but he got away and left them. And he went beyond the Jordan River near the place where John was first baptizing and stayed there a while. And many followed him. John didn't perform miraculous signs, they remarked to one another. But everything he said about this man has come true. And many who were there believed in Jesus. So as we start out here, as the video stated, the fact that this is taking place at the time of Hanukkah made another possible revolt very timely. And verses 22 through 25 highlight the crowd's energy toward this thought process. The video drew out that even Judah Maccabee didn't do all kinds of miracles. And here Jesus is doing miracles, and they believe he's the Messiah, the one who could set them free from oppression. And just like there was this Syrian oppression with the Jews some 160 years prior to Jesus' birth, now we've got an opportunity to revolt against the Roman oppression that they were experiencing. They say, how long are you going to keep us in suspense? Aren't you the Messiah? Do something about this. Well, Jesus came to defeat a bigger enemy, a way bigger enemy than Rome. And I don't know if we can comprehend how big of an enemy that really was. Rome was a big deal. But Jesus came to defeat sin. And these people don't get it. They don't see Jesus for who he really is. And Jesus points that out in verse 26 when he just flat out says... Uh, you don't believe me because you're not my sheep. 
You're not my sheep. That might seem kind of harsh, but it's truth. And earlier in this particular chapter, Jesus talks about how he's the good shepherd. And he is the door or the gate into his flock. And, And Jesus will lay down his life for the sheep. And he says, I know my own and they know me. He's describing his sheep and these people, they don't know him. And the way that he's meant to be known. Jesus gets a little more specific about his sheep. It's our memory verse we had this past week. It'll be on the screen here. But he says, My sheep listen to my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. And we're going to sit on the first part of this Specifically with verse 27, now I know in this congregation there are many of you who own livestock of some kind. And a lot of you may distinguish your livestock, especially if you're in a situation where there's other people's livestock in that same setting, by having tags or some kind of mark on your livestock that distinguishes them from the others. Perhaps you've seen the tag on the ear, okay? In my study of this this past week, Puritan theology actually describes two different kinds of marks that distinguish people who are true sheep. And we're going to sit on these two here for just a second. But the first one is a mark on the ear, and the second one would be a mark on the foot. And drawing that out from this particular passage and saying that Jesus is sheep, listen to his voice. Do you have that mark on your ear? Do you listen to his voice? And then the mark on the foot. Those who are true sheep follow Jesus. They don't go do their own thing. They follow him and the way he would desire their life to be. And as we sit on these two things, I was speaking with my father-in-law this week and he brought out the, uh, a message that he heard about some gentleman that went to Israel. And while he was over there, they come up on a body of water, and there's all kinds of sheep that are there drinking from that water. And they're from different flocks. They're not all just one. And the shepherd of one of those flocks starts to call out. And wouldn't you know, just his sheep pull back from the water and begin to follow their shepherd. And you think how Jesus is drawing this out for them. They understand, they know what shepherding looks like in Israel. And to call people out, they hear his voice and they follow him. And Jesus is saying, there's people who aren't my sheep. And and honestly, you guys, you're not my sheep. You, You don't believe me. You're not listening to me. You're not listening to me. But there are people who are my sheep. And he says, they listen. I know them. They follow me. And he walks through that. We were going to have an illustration here today, but due to illness, it's not going to happen. But I remember that uh, when I was a youth pastor, we brought in uh, a dog that I really loved. His name was Ebby, or excuse me, Reggie. Okay? And um, this was Brian and Bonnie's dog, and we brought it into the youth ministry. And um, we, on this particular passage, uh, we brought him in. And Brian Gertis was in the room, and he would call Reggie, and Reggie would just go to where Brian was at. Reggie knew Brian's voice. 
Okay, now Reggie has passed, but they have this other little dog named Ebby, and she's not quite as warm to me as Reggie was. <laughs> she's a little skittish, a little nervous around people, but you see this particular illustration drawn even further. Her security is Brian. And I remember Brian and Bonnie were gone for a little bit, and they asked me to stop by the house periodically to let this thing out so it could go to the bathroom. But if nobody's home and I come to the door and I come in, that dog will hide from me. It won't just, oh, okay, I have to go. I, it will literally hold itself in than to let me let it out the door. And so I'm following this thing around the house. Like, no, you got to, my job here is to make sure that you go to the bathroom. And um, the dog went to the stairwell, again, trying to keep distance from me. So I go to the stairwell. The dog goes upstairs. I'm at the stair. So I go upstairs. The dog goes into their bedroom. So I go into their bedroom. The dog is like shaking on their bed. And I'm like, you know, it's okay. And then proceeds to pee on their bed. <laughs> and I'm just thinking it would have been way better if I had just held back, let the dog do its thing on the floor or on a pad or something. But now we've got this mess on their bed. And... The thing is scared of me, but not when Brian's around. There's a security about Brian for this dog. And folks, we can be in a setting where there's lots of people or whatever in the house, and that dog will be in Brian's arms. That dog will listen to Brian's voice. My hope was, if this worked out, is I'd have had Ebby up here with me, and I'd have had Brian call for her in the back, and that thing, in a heartbeat, would have went right to him because... It's her master. She knows his voice. Jesus is saying, my sheep know my voice. They, they hear it and they follow me. And there's a security in our master. And Brian could be holding this dog. And I could walk up, you know, like, let's do a transfer. And no, I'm with my master. This is where I'm safe. And you can see how we can draw this out. The two marks on the ear, on the foot. But folks, there's also one here that I want you to catch. And there's a mark that's on the heart. Now, I can't see that in you. I can see the fruit of that in you. But whether or not you're saved, that's something between you and the Lord. And the mark on the heart is Jesus says, I know them. I know them. There's a relationship that exists here. The people that are questioning Jesus, they did not know him. And they actually start accusing him of blasphemy, and they're ready to take his life. They're ready to stone him. Say, you're a mere man, and you claim to be God. And they want to take his life. They're in opposition to him. And in verse 35 and also verse 36, Jesus points out to them that even Old Testament messengers were called gods, lowercase gods. And it was due to the fact that they were agents of God's revelation and will. They were speaking that to the people. Well, how much more is Jesus a revelation of God and his will? And here he is standing in front of them, and they don't know him. And I don't want you guys to miss this huge statement. If you've got your Bibles... 
underline this, circle this, whatever you got to do. In verse 35, Jesus tells them, the scriptures cannot be altered. And I felt it was important to just sit on this for a second as we're in this passage together because we live in kind of a day and age and a culture that kind of says it's 2021, almost 2022. Let's just add another year to that. And it's like the Bible is irrelevant. It's outdated. I mean, it needs to get with the times. And it's like, no. Jesus himself says the scriptures cannot be altered. And I just think that there's a tendency to think, well, I don't like this particular passage, so I want to change it. But here's what actually needs to take place. What might be revealed to us in the scriptures points to something that needs to be changed in us. The scriptures are not to be altered. We are the ones who change. And we conform. We conform to the word of God. And the scriptures cannot be altered. So right there in front of these men who want to take his life, you talk about grace Jesus gives them another opportunity to believe, another call, if you will, saying, now, if you don't believe in me, at least believe in the miracles. There's evidence here that the Father is at work in and through me. But again, verses 39 through 40 reveal their rejection and their hardened hearts. And it's so sad that here is the good shepherd standing right in front of them. And not only do you reject him, but you want to kill him. And what's sad about this crowd of unbelievers, it really comes down to the fact that their hope is misplaced. Their hope is misplaced. And a heart that is not in the right place will put its hope in the wrong place. A heart that is not in the right place will put its hope in the wrong place. And that is what these individuals did They want this revolt against Rome, meanwhile missing the true oppression and their struggle with sin. Think of all the things that people put their hope in besides Jesus. All the wrong places. It could be money. It could be fame or or success or perhaps your own career. You put all your hope into that. You can put your hope into health. You can put your hope into substances. You can put your hope into athletics or sexual pleasure or relationships, even good, godly relationships like your spouse or your kids. You can put all your hope into those individuals, but eventually they're going to let you down at some point because we're human, we're fallen. We can put our hope in these things besides putting our hope in Christ. People can put their hope in government. That's loaded. People can put their hope in a vaccine or a leader or a president. They can put all their eggs in that basket. But what happens when these things start to crumble? And I believe very quickly it reveals that our hope needs to be in Jesus. Jesus is Hope And there are some people in the crowd that got it right. And verses 41 and 42 reveal 
that there are some who followed him and believed in him. There's hope for people who are true sheep. Going back to our memory verse, specifically here in verse 28, Jesus says that I give them eternal life. That's a big deal. They want freed from Rome? Well, guess what? You're still human, and there's some point where you're going to die. Jesus brings something beyond the temporary. He brings eternal life. He says they'll never perish. And he says that no one can snatch them out of my hand. Not the Syrians, not Rome, no one. And they might threaten you physically, but guess what? They can't take away your spiritual salvation. Which means you always have hope. That means that no matter what circumstance you and I face, no matter what we walk through, no matter what kind of oppression we may face here on this earth, there's always hope when Christ is a part of the picture. There's always hope, no matter what. So in response today, I just simply ask a couple questions for all of us. One question might be, are there things that you're putting your hope in that are going to fail? Just process that. Is there areas we touched on here where I've put my hope in that, but I need to recenter this, and I need to make sure my hope is in Christ and in Christ alone. Another thing to consider is, are you walking through something, some kind of oppressive situation or circumstance? It'd be easy to be like these unbelieving Jews and say, I want God to free me from this situation. We don't like being oppressed. But meanwhile, God's saying, your hope, if it's in me, you can walk through any kind of oppression and ultimately understanding, guys, that there's a bigger picture at work in all of this. Nations, they come and they go. Rome, not what it used to be. And quite frankly, America, not what it used to be. Our hope needs to be in Christ. Jesus is hope. And when we start to become desperate and we're living in despair and, and we're struggling, oftentimes these are symptoms of the fact that we have our hope in the wrong place. And so allowing the Holy Spirit to just refocus us and make sure it's in the right place. My hope is found in Jesus Christ. As we prepare to pray and, and respond here in worship, I invite the worship team to come back up. And I want to lead us now in a prayer of response uh, to the message today. Would you pray with me? Father, I thank you for the hope that is found in Jesus Christ. I think of the song and the lyric that says that my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness.
Lord, thank you for coming into this world to save us from the oppression of sin. Oftentimes, we're so in tune to our physical needs and we neglect or we push off the spiritual. And here in this moment, Lord, I want to guide and lead us to refocus and make sure that we are recognizing the hope we have in you. It's possible there's someone listening today and they're walking through a very oppressive situation. Lord, remind them of the hope they have in you. There's always hope when Christ is a part of the picture. Lord, thank you for the promise of eternal life and for the security we have in you. And I pray that that reminder would be a blessing to somebody listening today. If there is someone listening right now that you've not received the hope of Jesus Christ and the salvation that he brings from the oppression of sin, I want to encourage you to consider what it would look like to respond to that today. Understanding that the Bible says we're all sinners and we all fall short of the glory of God and the wages of that sin is death. There's an understanding we live in this oppressive, sin-cursed world. But you brought an answer and you sent Jesus to pay the penalty and the price for that sin so that we could be set free from it, forgiven of our sin, and made right with you. And we can have that security and that hope that is found in you. If there's someone that would desire to receive him today, please pray with me in your heart and say, Lord Jesus, I need you. Please forgive me of my sin. I pray you'd make me new and help me to be a changed person with this new life in Christ. Today, I put my faith and trust in you as my Lord and Savior. Lord, thank you for how your spirit is at work here today amongst our hearts. We thank you for your love. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for your hope. In Jesus' name we pray.